Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome back to the West London Sport KPR podcast as we finally get to discuss a win at Loftus Road following Tuesday's dramatic victory over Stoke. 4-2 win over the 10-man Potters some 260 days after Jeff Beck last belted out high host silver lining at Loftus Road was a fitting end to an evening where the club did a fantastic job marking the sad passing of Terry Venables last Sunday. Venables is without doubt one of the most important and influential figures in the club's history. Following his appointment in 1980, he took the team from the lower reaches of the second division to the FA Cup final and qualification for European football in just four seasons before believing, before leaving to manage Barcelona. Rangers boss Marty Fuentes laid a wreath on the pitch before kickoff, and the appreciation shown from both QPR and Stoke fans during the tribute of applause was magnificent, and he most certainly would have approved of the entertaining affair that was played out on the pitch. I'm joined, as always, by former Rangers striker and captain Kevin Gallon. Kev, a much-needed win, but the news of Terry's passing last Sunday sort of overshadowed the news, um, you know, overshadowed the week in many ways. Was he someone you crossed paths with much during your career? Um, no, not really. I met him once or twice, shook his hands, you know, should have really told him what I thought about him, as in, you're the greatest QPR manager. I didn't, I just said, like, probably because you were, I was probably in awe of him. I was only like 18, 19, was at a match and he was there. Um, but yeah, what what, what a man for QPR, what a manager, but also a lot of people forget he played for the club. But anyone you speak to who, um, who worked with him or worked under him or worked or played with him, you know, would say the, the greatest of things about how good he was, you know, how personable, you know, good humoured, but also what, um, what a great manager and what a great coach. And, uh, you know, I remember Jerry Francis talking fondly of him when he was a um, manager at QPR, as in when he played with him. And I think he, he signed him for Crystal Palace maybe as well and then signed him back mm-hmm. for Q. I, I don't know, but there's a connection of signings. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the, play, the players that are... Uh, who, 
played under Terry Venables in that QPR team in the early 80s. You know, the stuff they put on social media saying how, what a great man he was and what a great coach and everyone followed it, exactly what he said. And he was ahead of his time as a, as a manager and as a coach. And, uh, you know, he's, he's so well respected, not, over, not only at QPR, obviously, all over England and, and Europe. Um, everyone knows who Terry Venables was and even Pep Guardiola talking about him uh, during the week and saying what a, an influence uh, because of what he did when he left QPR and he won the title um, at Barcelona in his first season. And I don't think they'd won it for many years. So, for, you know, I don't think that will ever happen again. Um, I might be wrong, but, and there's no disrespect to QPR and, but from going from QPR to Barcelona is one hell of a step up. Um, you know, Barcelona, one of the powerhouses of European world football. And uh, he'd done such a great job at QPR that, you know, the people who, who ran Barcelona obviously were keeping an eye on him and said, that's the manager for us. And, and it paid dividends. And I think the next year they got to the final of um, the European Cup and they lost all penalties. And unfortunate for Terry, I mean, that would have been some hell of a story of, you know, within two seasons, winning the La Liga and then going straight into winning the European Cup the following year. It would have been a hell of a, hell of a, better, a bigger story than uh, even just winning the title in his first season. But yeah, everyone talked about him and watching QPR when I first, I was lucky, maybe spoiled now, looking back. But my first years of watching QPR was 1981, 82, you know, probably 1980 was a bit, I uh, can't sort of remember, but you know, that the time when we got to the FA Cup final and maybe should have won it. And then the next season, putting that disappointment away and, and, and winning the, the second division title and then the following year qualifi qualifying for Europe. You know, it's unbelievable when you think about it. I mean, what an achievement and, you know, what a manager and fair play to the players. They listened to everything, what he said and done a fantastic job. And, you know, people talk about the 1975-1976 as as the QPR's greatest ever squad or team, but that early 80s team can't be far behind. Yeah, that's that's my vintage as well. My first game, I think, was 1983. Um, they played Southampton, but, you know, there's players like Clive Allen and Simon Stainrod. It was a cracking team. And, uh, yeah, I thought it was quite, um, quite nice, actually, on Tuesday night during the game. The, the QPR back four stepped up in one arm in the air, that was very reminiscent of a very Venables type well, team. The back, you know, the offside trap was sort of down to a tee, and Terry, Terry Fenning with his hand in the air, leading everyone up. It was, you know, I thought. I mean, that that was sort of never been seen, and you know, I think in the late sort of eighties, early nineties, uh, AC Milan started doing that under Saki, uh, playing that offside, um, you know, pushing up really tight. But yeah, unbelievable. When, you know, the free kick would be coming into into QPR's box and there, would be, there obviously was a code word and everyone would be on it. And as soon as the, as soon as the opposition went to take the free kick, they'd all step up five yards and catch them all offside. So very, very clever. I and mean, obviously he was a very clever uh, manager. Good stuff. Right. So moving on to, you know, the action, two games in quick succession, uh, uh, a narrow one nil defeat at Norwich last Saturday. I was, I was working at that and um, yeah, there was, you know, ultimately it ended in defeat and, you know, the football's a lot better. But, you know, aside from 
Sam Field missing a very good chance right at the end. Um, you know, Rangers didn't really trouble the keeper enough. Um, and, you know, Norwich were there for the taking. But, um, yeah, a lot better on, on, on Tuesday, though, Kev. 4-2 win. Three goals at the loft end. Four goals in the game. What, what's happening? <laughs> I know. It's been a long time uh, talking about a win at home, but also to score so many goals as well. And, you know, fantastic uh, atmosphere. Um I thought we. I thought first half we we weren't we weren't great. I thought um, Stoke surprised me. I thought they. I didn't think they were as good as they, they were. I thought they had some really good movements, and I checked the stats, and it was, you know, it wasn't great possession wise. Sixty seven for them in the first half, thirty three for us. So we were a little bit conceding possession, and we looked like we were sort of, you know, we did look dangerous on the counter attack. Uh, we should have went two nil up. I mean. Very poor miss by Lyndon Dykes. You know, everyone was, I could imagine everyone was, you know, raising their eyes as straight away. They they equalised and rolling their eyes. And you thought it's going to be one of those days again. And there the man sent off and you think it's going for us. And then to be fair, that the centre mid scored a really cracking goal from the edge of the box. And you're like thinking this is going to be one of those nights. But fair play, the manager made some really good, um, some really good substitutions. And... You know, what he did was he took Dunn off and he brought on, you know, uh, Clark Sorter, who when you're playing against 10 men, you get more of the ball and you need your better passers on the pitch. And and what he done well with his, uh, what was very good of his substitutions, he put on Clark Sorter, who's uh, probably better on the ball than uh, Jimmy Dunn. And he moved uh, Ilya's chair into centre midfield for that extra pass and, uh, and get on the ball and create... Um, more openings and more chances, and it worked a treat. And in the end, we deserved the the three points. Um, so really, some really good goals, and the atmosphere and the, the celebrations for the third was, you know, something I haven't seen down at QPR for a long while. So really good, really really good result, but much needed, and hopefully, you know, can follow it on, and that's a bit of a, a confidence boost. And, and got, get that jinx off uh, the back, especially for the home form and, and scoring goals at the loft. Yeah, I mean, almost ironically, it was out of the, out of the, the four games um, Sefuentes has had in charge. I thought this was perhaps QPR's, well, certainly for 70 minutes, their, their poorest display. I thought, I agree with you, I thought Stoke in midfield were were the better side. Um, you know, being down to 10 men, it can always sometimes be more difficult to play against 10 men, but... I mean, albeit it was a good goal, their second goal, but very well taken. But, you know, it looked like we were the team with 10, Rangers were the team of 10 men, the way they defended that that goal, the space he had to kind of pick his spot. Um, you know, and perhaps a friend of mine said at the time, maybe he missed a trick not changing it when they went down to 10 men, but you can't, that's nitpicking a little bit because, you know, the changes he made were, were really proactive. It's, it's unusual for, a, you know, a manager to change the centre-back and the right-back during a game, it's uh, very, very rarely you see it actually. But you know, you, you've articulated, you know, the, the reason behind it, and it, you know, it, it's good to see that, that a manager. I mean, Mick Bill gets a lot of stick for various reasons, but he was very good at making in-game changes in, in the games he had in charge of QBR. And you know, that thinking in your feet as a manager is is really important. And you know, the introduction right at the end of Larkesh that ultimately proved to be the match winner. You know, and. Credit to him for coming on and, 
you know, getting straight into the game. And that was an amazing piece of tenacity and desire. And just, a, I mean, really, the, the boy he's up against, he just wanted it more, Larkesh. You know, he didn't give it up. And, you know, you put a low cross into the box, anything can happen, can't it? So, um, I mean, going back to, you're playing against 10 men and usually, and especially if the 10 men have just gone 2-1 up. So now that 10 men are going to drop a little bit deeper and defend that lead and try and keep it tight. And that's why I said, like, putting... Um, forgot about Cannon. Yeah, that was a, a really good substitution as well. But bringing the main one for me is bringing Illy's chair into the centre midfield because now you got you have got more time on the ball because they're sitting off you. They go into a bank of what four four and a five or a five and a four, and you have that little bit more time on the ball. So you need your better players and your more technical players and your more uh, what's the word um, creative players on the ball because you're going to get. And it was an inspired, um, an inspired proactive. You said a proactive move, bringing Ilias Chair into that position because that's where you get more of the ball and a little bit more composure to pick that pass out, which he did. Hit the post as well, which is very unfortunate. Really good shot, and uh, yeah, it was uh, you know very good, very very much needed victory. And just a word on Dykes. I mean, there was a few more than a few eyebrows being raised when he missed that chance. Where I was sitting, anyway, it was more, you know, a few raised voices, and the voices got even louder when they scored almost immediately. And after he lost his man at the corner um, from that chance, but you know that 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 second goal he scored that that was a that was a top goal. That was a really high class finish, and it just begs the question: How can a fellow walk, be clean through on goal and miss a chance like that, and then? You know, pluck the ball out of the air on his chest and turn and swivel volley into the bottom corner. It kind of, well, I guess, I, it's, I guess it's credit to him as well, like because the the crowd were up, were you know, understandably quite frustrated. But you know, he didn't go missing. He didn't get his head down. He just got on with it. And I suppose he deserves credit for that. But you know, <laughs> it's it's almost throw your hands in the air and say, you know, well, I, I, this, this is what I feel. I feel like. Uh, when Linda Dykes has got time, too much time on uh, on the ball and too much time, you know, when he's trying to go through on goal, then when he's doing things sort of off the cuff. And um, I mean, just before he scored that that second his second goal, um, he had a, he, uh, the ball came into the box and he took a really good touch and he swiveled and he shot and it probably was going to go in, but uh, got a deflection and went wide. So when he's not thinking about things and have too much time and he's just doing it off the cuff, then he looks, like like you said, he looks at, at, you know, he can finish better. He looks a better centre forward. I think when he has too much time to think about it, that's, I mean, I'm going back last season where there was a couple of chances. um, I think, was it, who did, was it Blackpool at home last season when he had one of the easiest chances ever and he had so much time. I think it was a whole game. Yeah, and he had so much time down at the school end and, and he missed. It's like, he doesn't have time and he just hits it. Then he, he sort of, that, that sort of, he, when he reacts quicker and just hit does it off the cuff and um, he, he looks a much better player and a much better centre forward. But fair play to him because he could have dropped his head. He didn't and he scored a wonderful uh, second goal, really. Chest and volley, swivel, volley, very good. And it's nice to see. Uh, I bet he's he's um, also buzzing to score down at the loft end as well. Yeah, I mean, why is that, Kev? I mean, speaking to someone, you know, I've never played professional football, but 
you think like the easy chances they just would be why is it why can't someone who's a professional footballer why do they have like this sort of like when they think about it too much moments it, it doesn't work out is, is, it just, is it just confidence or is it just a natural thing is it no, i think it's, if, if you're thinking about it too much you've got too many options <laughs> and then sometimes you pick the wrong option and I think if you just do it straight away and without thinking, this is what I've got to do, bang, hit, chest volley, go. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's mm. Sometimes, you know, most goals are, the centre-forwards are pretty much one, one-touch finishes in the in 18-yard the box or, you know, in that, I call it the second six-yard box between uh, the goal and the penalty spot. If there was another box. Most goals are usually a one-touch finish or a two-touch control and hit. Very rarely you have three or four touches because you get closed down. And, you know, you practice that in training as well. You you be you, you might be playing, uh, they'll do rules, coaches will do a rule where they say, right, you're playing the say an eight-side, small-sided game. And uh, they'll say, okay, eight-side game. They might say two touch. You can only have two touches around the pitch and one touch finish. Or, or And then 10 minutes later, all right, all in, one touch finish. And then they'll say, just all in, all in, as in, do you know what I mean? So you've got to practice these things. When you're doing crossing and finishing, you know, in training, it's like literally the cross comes in, you've got to hit it first time. Because you have to replicate what you do in a, in a match. It's very rarely a cross comes in, you've got you've got time to take three or four touches. It's usually mm. cross comes in, bangs, first touch, one touch finish. So I think when he does that, when he, he doesn't have to think about it and have too many options, I think it, it suits him a lot better. Yeah, because I mean, really, I mean, Paul Smith as well missed a good, a good, a good chance where he, you know, the keeper made. To be fair, the keeper made a really good save. That was but a good again, save. You, you, you got to, you know, hit the target. And I mean, it, what it, I mean, the encouraging thing for me was they didn't play that well, but you know, they forced like thirteen corners. I mean, there were some games early in the season where they weren't even getting a corner. Now, yeah, I thought they looked a little bit more dangerous from corners. I mean, the first goal come from a set piece. Is that right? Ball into the box and got pulled back. Box, yeah. yeah. And it was a decent ball. And you know, you put you put the the ball into the box from corners or set pieces and you put them in the right area. You have there's there's a you know so you have to have the right delivery and you have to have people um attacking the ball and wanting to get in front of that defender. But if the delivery isn't there, it's just there's not you can't do anything. And there's many a times this season where I've seen us taking corners of free kicks and we're not beating the first man. And that is one of the most annoying things. Yeah. I mean, supporters and I'm a supporter now, but if you don't beat the first man, it's just, what's the It's just like everyone's just got their head in their hands and got to beat the first man and the quality into the box has to be right. And then you've yeah. got people, uh, people attacking it. It's got to be better as well. I mean, I mean, Kenneth Powell's been taking corners and it's just far too. It seems every corner of the keeper's just it's far too easy for the goalkeeper just to pluck it out of the air. I think they need to, you know, really work on that because you know there's not many goals in this team. You know, and when you get set pieces, you've got to make them count. They have to. Yeah. You know, it's it's a crucial part of the game. In years gone by, teams QPR teams, you know, Warnock's teams always was decent from set pieces to get goals. And and you're right, you know, if you, you centre forwards, I think Dykes has scored three goals this season. You need to start. Uh, you need to start spreading the goals around, as in, you know, the odd centre back coming up and scoring from a header from a corner to help to help out the team. Yeah, and also uh, Chris Willock 
Um, didn't start the game, but I didn't mind that decision. I thought I could, you know, what's impressive about Sifuentes is I can sort of see what he's trying to do. And, you know, he'd obviously identified a lack of pace in the, the Stoke defence, which is why he started Paul Smith. And I thought Paul Smith's pace caused them, you know, caused them problems. Um, again, his final ball could be better, but, you know, he got, he earned the yellow, got the guy the yellow card that got him sent off. And I just think that, you know, he's very enthusiastic and he's willing. Um, you know, and then he swapped wings, brought Willock on, and I thought, you know, Willock looked look like he's getting back to some of his old old form. Well, yeah, I mean, whether he meant that, I mean, it was obviously he was going to come on at some stage where we were winning, losing, but for the last 20, 25 minutes, maybe he's thinking he's played a few games and he needs a, a little rest and there's a big game on Friday. But he came on and he looked... He looked good. He looked confident. I think scoring that goal, again, that down at the loft, will do him the world of good, confidence-wise. Uh, first goal of the season. First goal for a long time. Uh, he put the cross in for... Was it? Did he put the cross in for the Dykes goal as well? He did, yep. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but, you know, that still can that still goes down as an assist in my eyes. So, you come on a sub with 25... What was it? 30 minutes ago, you score a goal and they're getting, getting an assist... You got and you get a win. You got to go off that pitch, very very happy man. Yeah, I think that was really encouraging as well. I mean, the the, the ball in the box for Dice's goal when he was really firing sort of eighteen months ago. Willock, he was doing that quite a lot. He did it. There's a game over at, up at Coventry and they won where he put a ball like that in for Albert Adoma to score and um, Charlie Austin's goal against West Brom right at the end when they beat West Brom one nil. The same there. I think it's really encouraging. I thought again, was in, after about two minutes, he pulled up. It looked like he he pulled a calf muscle. It looked oh, like yeah. he was going to be. No sooner as he on, he was going off again, and you saw everyone around was going, "Oh no, this doesn't look good." Um, and he played through it, which I think was well, encouraging think as well. I think he got. I think I know it was that down by the loft. Yeah, yeah, right by the by the byline. Yeah. yeah, I think he got stamped on by. I think it was just like a little stamp on his foot of the studs and. Um, yeah, well, well, yeah, fair play. Look, you, you come on the pitch and you want to make an impression, and uh, you get clobbered after two minutes. You're like, bloody hell, what am I going to do? But you know, he carried on and he got his just rewards in the end. And you know, the celebrations for the third goal was, uh, you know, it's like we, like we won the world cup, it was brilliant. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was. Um, I mean, you know, during your career, you had, you know, your fair share of injuries and that. I mean, it seems like with, with Willock, he's sort of not sure whether to trust his body or not. And that, I think, has been a factor in why he's he's not been as effective as he as he, as he was prior to that serious hamstring injury he had. Um, I just think something like tonight, like the other night, could really kickstart what he's thinking, you know, well, in just, terms of going into games. When, when you, when you, but when you played, you know, what was that like, that kind of, You've had a serious injury. You're coming back. What, is it a case of once you get a kick on the knee and it's all right, you you're fine, or is it still playing on your mind? Yeah, I mean, it always will be playing on your mind. But you know, hamstrings is a very uh, it's a very strange. What's the word? It's a very worrying injury because when you're playing and you so training is okay, but because when you when you're playing and the ball goes there. And you're thinking about the game and you react and your hamstring can let you down if it ain't a hundred percent. And it's a it is a worry. And if you have a really bad hamstring injury, and I had a few hamstring injuries, 
and you come back and it's not right and it takes it it can take its time and you know mentally as well you want to react you react and to sprint for a ball the ball drops and you just go and sprint for it that's when your hamstring goes it's mm. like it can just go and he has to trust that and uh he has to obviously i would say he would have to be doing a lot of still rehabbing on that make sure that area of his body is strong his glutes all around that hamstring work because hamstrings can come back very quickly if you don't do it if you don't uh, prepare yourself right and uh he'll 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 be thinking now you know i've scored a goal i've, I've assisted he'll he probably he'll be probably thinking he only played half an hour i feel fresh i can't wait for friday night's game now to show everyone what i can do again and like i said his contract's running out uh, at the end of the season so he's got a big five or six months to you know either to earn himself a new contract at qpr or to earn himself a contract anywhere, really, because he's a free a free agent, for it personally mm. for himself. Or well, what QPR are going to do? Are they going to, you know, willing to sell? If he ain't going to stay, are they willing to sell him in January? Does he want to go? Does he want to stay? Who knows? But he's got six months to to prove to the club, to other clubs, what he's all is he fit and raring to go again. I think something like that, if he's um, fit and he's playing well with his contract having so little to run, what sort of fee would you get from him in January anyway? I think you almost like have to keep him. No, I think you have to keep him because you have to stay up. You know, if you the, the amount of money you lose going down as opposed to what you might get for selling him, it, it sort of, it doesn't really make any... Well, 100%. I, I, I agree. I agree. If, you, if he's playing well and they, they get offered a bid... Which, what what would it be? What's the maximum? Two hundred grand. No, I think maybe depends. Five hundred grand, I say. But I'd keep him. You need him. Yeah, you need him unless you've got a ready-made replacement lined up. But yeah, for your fit will look towards a fit and firing will look um, playing for the rest of the season. Is a good weapon to have to for staying up, and that's more important than staying up for me. Yeah, it will be interesting to see what they do. I mean, Ilias Chairs looks like a man reborn since Sequentes has come in. Um, you know, was was strong the other night. Has played well in all the games that he's been available for. Um, still, still sometimes does a bit too much, I think. But I yeah. mean, if, if, if an offer comes in for him, and it's a kind of sizable offer that's I think, because I mean, the, the the squad does need strengthening. They need, they need some bodies in January. You know, if if you're gonna, I think they need another midfielder. They obviously need a striker. You know, would you would you sell chair if 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 he well, was said? Is it? I mean, you know, is there money to spend with this FFP? I don't know. I mean, they've they've. Done naming rights of the ground. They've done naming rights of the state mm. uh, on stand. Is that money that can? Is that for FFP or is that for money to sign some players in? Um, yeah, in in January. But also, we haven't got any loan players, so they can get some loan players in. Yeah, and uh, I'm sure they that they have to be looking at the loan market. Oh yeah, to help. They have to be and to strengthen the squad. 
depending on uh, on offer, what what would you get for chair? I'm not too. Um, it's a difficult one. Because if you've got a fit and fire in Willock, you let Willock hasn't really played much for six or seven months and chair leaves. And then he's sort of, I know you want them both playing together, but he's sort of a, a ready-made replacement for chair. Mm. And maybe they might want more pace on the left-hand side. Because chair really, you know, he's more of a number 10, sort of playing on the left, cutting in. But they might, I don't know what the manager wants. He might think, I want more legs down that left-hand side. More mm. pa uh, pace and then creates more room for Willock playing in the number 10 role. Now, whenever a new manager comes in, it creates opportunities of players that perhaps were overlooked by the previous manager. That's certainly been the case with uh, Elijah Dixon Bonner, who's you know gone from serial bench warmer to kind of starting three uh, through the last four games. What have you made of him, Kev, from what you the, the brief sites well, you've what, seen? What he brings to the team is um, enthusiasm, athleticism. Yeah. Um, very, he's very young, and um, he's very young, and uh, you know that enthusiasm can carry for 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 the first two or three or four games and five games. It'd be interesting to see how if he keeps playing, how he will go on, how he will carry on in the next five, three or four games. If he can carry on the standard that he's set in the last few games, but he's done really well. He's give us a bit of legs in midfield. A little bit like last year with Luke Amos when he played. Give mm. us legs and enthusiasm. But the only problem with with, with Luke, he, he didn't play enough. Uh, mm. So, legs, enthusiasm, hungry. And, he, and he's decent on the ball. Yeah, he's done yeah. well. He's very positive, I think. He always wants the ball, ball to feet. He's always looking to go forward with the ball. You know, progressive passing. Oh, you know, I, I really like him. I've, um, I saw him a little bit in the under twenty ones teams last season and early this season, and you know he's got a really good attitude as well. His attitude's excellent. You, you know, when you're at these games, you can hear what's being said on the pitch and that. And you know, he's very vocal, and he, you know, he, he just seems a, a good kid. You know, a good lad. He's, you know, he's obviously his pedigree strong. He's he started his career at Arsenal, and then he, you know, he go to Liverpool, and you know, so he's obviously been well coached in his sort of, um, you know, earlier days of his career. So. He, I think you know they, they, they might have found one there on a free transfer. He, he's done he's done very well. Well, but... you say well coached and Arsenal and Liverpool, yeah, and and with the new manager coming in, sort of playing sort of a, or trying to play a more possession style um, type of football, then it obviously suits him. Yeah, and what have you made your early impressions of the manager then, mate? Well, he looks. Well, I was watching him from the sideline. He's very enthusiastic on the sideline, and telling people what 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 he wants and what to do. His interviews have been good. Um, I quite like his interview against um, Norwich when he said, "Well, you know, at the end of the day, we, we need results. It's not all about possession and passing. We actually need to uh, win games, and that's a hundred percent. You know, I know obvious, but previous managers have you know talked about, oh, we're doing this, we're doing that, without getting any results.'" And not talking about getting results, so you know that that Tuesday game against Stoke will, you know, obviously be a relief not only for the fans and the club, but for the manager to get off the mark. Because the longer the you leave not winning your first game as manager, you know, it will play on your mind. So I think he's done a really good job. He's sort of gone back to what we QPR has been over the last four to five years, trying to play a brand of football that is more possession based and. And keeping it and creating chances. Uh, 
yeah, he's done well so far. Um, roll on uh, Friday. We win again on Friday. Then he's, he, I would give him a seven out of ten. We win on Friday. He's an eight out of ten. We lose. Goes back to a six. You know what, that's what football's all about? It's winning games. And uh, and at the moment, QPR, uh, we need to win games because of the situation we're in, uh, in position-wise, in the league. Do you think? I mean, a win is a win. It doesn't matter what the scoreline is, but it does feel a bit more significant the fact they won four two rather than winning one nil. Do you think that's there's something in that as well? Well, I think something, there's something in in that is that you're two one down and you come back and win four two. That's 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 a that's a better than winning one nil for me. Especially you know because the crowd deserve four goals. I mean. Supporters have turned up in their numbers at every home game and haven't seen like one win in a year. So to get a, a win at home and to score four goals, you know, the crowd go home so much more happier than, scra than scraping a 1-0. I know you only get three points, but, you know, at the end of the day, entertainment business, is what football mm. is, and to win 4-2 is, you know, you know, a really good result. And, and also, we need to. We haven't scored four goals for ages, and we mm. need to get goals. And goal difference has to be a lot better. You never mm. know what happens at the end of the season. Goal difference might come into it. And in terms of just belief around the team, I mean, you've been around plenty of teams that have been in bad runs, and you get a good result. How much of a difference can it just lift the mood of everyone? Uh, yeah, and I mean, but just for sort of like guys that aren't sort of peripheral players like Larkesh, maybe Cannon who's just coming in. What their their self-worth, their self-belief, how much how important would that be? You come and you they, they obviously would have went in on, on yesterday for a warm down. But if you if you're going in every every after every game for a warm down and you've lost again, it's a little bit, you know, it's a natural thing. The fans would be the same. It's it's doom and gloom. You come in on Wednesday after winning four two after being two one down. And everyone's absolutely buzzing and having a laugh, and the atmosphere in the training ground would be completely different to what it would be if you if if you had lost. And you know, my my son went into school on Wednesday. He was buzzing. He was like, mm. "Don't take the mick out of me anymore." We won four two. I'm like happy for him. So yeah. he goes to school. I'm going to show them. Look, we won four two. Yeah. So. It's not just the players, the fans. The players will just be replicating what the fans, the fans would be feeling as well. You know, absolutely delighted that, that we won four two and managed to score four goals at home. So um, when the games come around, you know, as everyone says, thick and fast, the most overused phrase in world football. Um, but Friday night, tough game. At the end of the day, it comes thick and fast. They do. They do. Uh, trip up to Deepdale. There's probably closer matches you could have had on a Friday night after a, you know, a midweek game, but um, the results probably didn't go and keep you way last night. How does feel getting a kind of surprise 2 1 win at Sunderland? Um, not ideal, but I think weirdly, I think that might kind of work in favour of the mindset because you know you don't want to get too carried over by one win, and it's like, oh god, we. We're six points adrift again. We need to kind of focus straight back on onto on press. And I know managers and players that always say we're only focusing on the next game, but sort of psychologically, I think. Well, that, that you're, back to, you're back to square one. So you've got to look after your your own game, really. 
I mean, if QPR win win matches, they'll get out of trouble. Simple as that. You can't worry. I know it's like you're always looking at results and stuff. And fair play to Huddersfield was a great result at Sunderland. I didn't expect that. Um, but then, like you said, it might work in our favour because it might keep the lads on their toes, saying we haven't achieved hardly, we haven't achieved anything yet. We've got to go to Preston and get some sort of a result. We don't get beat. You know, you win your games at home and you pick up points away. And that's a recipe for success in the championship. So they've got to go to Preston and get a result of some sort. And capable of winning. Hmm. But you don't lose that game. Yeah. Um, well, I think there hasn't been a historically happy hunting ground for Rangers, although they did win there last year. Uh, Jimmy Dunn's uh, uh, goal sealing a 1-0 win in Neil Critchley's first and first game and his only win in charge. Uh they going in on the back of a, you know, they got thumped by Middlesbrough on a, on Tuesday, I think it was, 4-0. And, you know, were turned over at home by Cardiff. Uh, who scored two goals in the last deep into injury time to win 2-1. So, you know, they're, they're now on a great run of form at the moment. It's, you know, what are your thoughts, Kev? Do you think... They'll be obviously pressing after, after two poor results. Especially the one, uh, you know, uh, the the one against Middlesbrough. They'll be they're going to come out. I think they'll come out the traps flying because the manager will get right stuck into them, try and get the crowd on side. And I just believe if QPR weather that storm and can get the ball down and start passing it, then they can get a really good result on um, on Friday. But tough game Friday nights on TV. You know, everyone will be up for it. Everyone's thinking. Well, I'm on TV. I've got to show my friends. People are watching them. I've got to show my friends. I don't want to embarrass them. I've got to put in a performance. And uh, it's a tough game. And you've got to go into that game. QPR are going into that game with a lot more confidence than they have. And uh, Preston, you know, confidence has been dented. But still a tough game away from home, Preston. Long journey. It's going to be cold. This is like a test of QPR's mentality after winning uh, on Tuesday. Can they follow up three days later with a good result against Preston? Did you like Did you like the Friday night games when you were playing? I'm not a big uh, fan of myself. Yeah, didn't mind because you usually get the weekend off. <laughs> I thought you might say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so yeah, didn't mind them. Um, <laughs> not not Preston away. Um, maybe at home. Uh, yeah, I didn't mind them. I always like playing. Especially uh, at home, I always like playing in the evening. I like playing QPR at, at Loftus Road in the evening. Hmm. Yeah, not that I didn't. Like, I, I mind. I love playing um, all the time, but I like the evening games as well. Hmm. But it's tough, and it's tough for the fans to get up there. I'm sure they'll be up there in uh, fine voice. It's going to be a tough game. I'm going to go one-one. I'm going to take one-one, Ian. Yeah, yeah. With the games like that, with what sort of time would you get home? I mean, the coach would go from Lancashire. Well, would you ever stay? Would the team stay up there and go back Saturday morning? What would, what would players prefer? No, I, you get it out of the way and get home? I think it would be more a case of get home. Um, you get home about four, so eight o'clock, 11, half 11 by the time you get out. You're looking at half three, four if you're lucky. And the thing is, you can't sleep on them coach journeys because you're still full of adre adrenaline from the match. Hmm. Well, I do anyway and uh yeah I, I'm, I'm sure they won't be in the, the when's the next game is it the following saturday 
yeah, Hull on the Saturday. So they'll, I would say they have Saturday and Sunday off to recover. Maybe go, maybe been told to go for a light jog on Sunday and a stretch out and be ready for training on Monday. Yeah. So I imagine those coach journeys when you win, there's nothing better, is there? On a long journey. No, in the end, coming home after a loss is like very depressing because you can't sort of have, you can't be seen to having a laugh and joke on the Wyoming when you've lost. But if you get a sort of result, then again, the atmosphere and the mood is so much better. You can mess about, you can have a laugh, play cards, watch a film, all that sort of stuff. So what generally happens in after a game? Where they have like a chef on the on the bus who lays on dinner and what have you, or is it all food that's bust in from? Uh, yeah, you know, I, did, I did bump into like, the players actually when I was coming back from um, where was it um, Rotherham? Or coming out of a service station, there was like I pulled into a service station and there's a giant coach and you think that's a football bus? That is, it's definitely a team bus. And saw the front, he was a QPR bus and. There's loads of squad coming out with, you know, Nando's and McDonald's and. <laughs> the, thing, the thing, the thing with um, those are uh, sort of the diet sort of goes out the window after a match. It's basically get some food in you as quickly as possible to recover, and it doesn't matter what it is. But um, depends, depends uh, what food in the, in the olden days we used to have. The kit man used to make the food. There would be a, a kitchen at the back. And it'd be like ready meals for Marks and Spencers and stuff like that. Uh, Jerry always used to have a crate of beer on the on the coach for the lads, which was good because there was only a few of us would be drinking them. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the, we've, there'd be no beers on the bus now. Um, yeah, and then they might stop off at um, a service station just because they're stretching legs and a bit bored. But yeah, there, there will be there'll be food. They might even sometimes you stop off and uh, or you get a, a, a delivery from Domino's onto the coach. When you get on there, there'd be just pizzas everywhere. Sometimes, you know, if it was Grimsby away, it would always be fish and chips and stuff like that. So it depends. Depends. And the orders would be going in today if they've got ready meals or what you want or what pizza you want. So they'd be all ordering it and all and it all be, it should be all as they walk on the coach after the shower and changed, food ready to go. Do clubs, away teams, Jimmy, lay on food for the away team in the dressing room yeah, after? Do they, is that how it works? No, not really. A bit of plate of sandwiches, but it would be, you'd, you'd find out, I don't know who would do it, the secretary would find out or the kit man would find out from their kit man or whatever, where's the local Domino's or where's the local chip shop <laughs> and get it delivered onto the coach as soon as they get on, there'll be food ready for you. Because you've got a certain window of, of of sort of opportunity to replenish, and I think it's like half an hour to an hour, and you have to get some food down you, yeah? or else it doesn't work. That's the sports science thinking. Good stuff. Right, um, I'm going to share your prediction. Actually, I think it will be a draw too. I think, and it'll be a good point up there. I think it's a it's a tough turnaround that up there. Uh, um, I went to university in Preston, and I know it's a it's a long way away, particularly on a on a Friday night, it's a real that M6 is a real pain on a on a Friday night. So um, yeah, getting coming away with something there. It just, it just kind of you know it's not going to be enough to get out of the bottom three if you get a point. Well, a win's not going to be able to get out of the bottom three either. But it just sort of keeps alive that that sort of um, you know decent run of form since the Fuentes has taken over. 
Um, so yeah, I'm going to go for a, I'm going to go I'm going to go for one all as well. Boring, I know. Sorry about that, but um, we do have a lot of one all draws at Preston. Actually, it seems to be um, the kind of the mean score whenever we play at deep. There's a one-one draw, so uh, be interesting yeah. because we are capable of winning that game. There's no doubt about it. Um, be interesting to see if he keeps Willock on the bench or he starts him. I would say keep him on the bench, ready to ready to come on at some stage in the, for the last half an hour. Because I think you play Smith just to stretch, maybe that little bit extra pace, just to stretch mm. the defence and that option. But we'll yeah. see. I'll be watching Good. close. Good stuff. Well, thanks a lot for your time, Kev. And uh, thanks for listening, everyone. And uh, as I say every week, we are also on Spotify and iTunes and various other hosting platforms. So, uh, and we'll see you again next week. Sports Social Podcast Network.